0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thankful for the victory tonight in Jesus' name. Praise God. We are so thankful for what God has done in these 12 years. Uh, Actually, the the 29th will actually be the uh, actual anniversary date. But um, man, uh, some that's here tonight was there at the beginning and there at the first service and and uh, we've watched God do a lot of great things. We've met a lot of wonderful, tremendous people in 12 years. Seen a lot, of, a lot of miracles, a lot of healings, a lot of blessings. Had some rough spots, but God got us through it all. And we're here tonight together to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank God for it. Give honor to all the ministry in the house tonight. Appreciate you being here, coming to, to celebrate, worship with us. And we're very thankful to have our friends, as I said earlier, brother and sister Green with us tonight. And I love this dear man and his family so much. And um, I'll tell you, a lot of the dearest people to my heart, I have met through them. (laughs) Me and my wife have met through them. And so they've been a great uh, blessing. God put them in our life for a reason. I, I believe that. And so if the Lord tarries... Until he comes back every anniversary service, we got a standing date. I've told him, don't plan on being anywhere else the end of April. I said, be, you'll be in Athens, Georgia, as long as the Lord's tarrying. So uh, we appreciate him tonight. I want him to come tonight and minister. Just give us what the Lord's give him. Let's help him tonight. Let's have faith. Let's be ready to receive from the word. Let's pray for him and preach with him. Let's see God do some great things.
1: Wow, what an awesome power of God in the house today. There are some things that are special because you only get to do it once every so often. And I am having a special day today because I have my family in the house. Almost all of them. And uh, as they get uh, a little older and have their... Families and children and grandchildren It seems that, that uh, it's getting more and more difficult To be able to get them all together So this is a special day for me And for Lois because we, we have family in the house So Morgan and Jared and Wyman and Hazel We love you And Jordan and Brookie You guys are awesome We love you very much And, and Judah in the house today He's not married yet, you know, I'm not going to go there, so so just uh, one daughter and her family that are not with us today, but they wanted to be here, so this is very special. Other other things are special, uh, not just because they are um, far and few and in between, but because they are so precious, like the presence of God that we are experiencing here, special, special. And then to have friends that are celebrating 12 years of ministry here in this city. Man, let's, let's love on our pastor and first lady. They are awesome. What a special time. And I got to speak a little bit last night about the 12th year and how it is a time of foundation and government being laid. Twelve months of a year is over and now you start a brand new year. The foundation, the government of the twelve years of this anniversary church. Now there's a foundation laid and it's time to build the house for which the foundation has been laid. So exciting times that we are living in. And all of our friends and loved ones in the house today. uh, Lois and I love you very much and it's a privilege to be here with you. You're standing patiently so... Would you allow me to read James chapter 2? I'm looking at the entire thought process between verses 14 and verses 26. Not going to read all of that. The caption over these or the thought process here is faith without works is dead. That it profits nothing. So let me read verse 22 and then just speak a little bit about the context before and after before I let you be seated so we can understand where we're going. Verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. So I'm going to preach about a perfect faith. This word perfect here in the Greek means fulfilled completed, come to fruition. It is a perfect, it has been fulfilled, it is completed faith. So there's faith that can be incomplete or not perfect, and faith that can be perfect and complete. And he begins to speak to us that faith that is complete is faith that not only believes, but has works with it, actions with your faith. The example that James gives here is simply if you say to someone because you believe that they should be fed and warmed, bless you, may you be fed, bless you, may you be warmed, and you've got the ability to actually go to the store and do something about it, then you really don't have faith that they need to be blessed in warmth or in food because your actions, if you really believe that they needed to be, you'd make sure because you have the ability to do that. So, James is saying, if you've got faith, then you should also have works according to your faith, or it's not complete. He gives two examples here of Abram, or Abraham, and Rahab. That Abraham's faith was complete when he offered up Isaac on the sacrificial altar. (laughs) What's that mean? That means he trusted in God for the promises that God gave him. That you would be a father of many nations, seed like the stars and like the sand. He so believed in the promise of God that he could take his only son and sacrifice him because I believe what God said. Even if this looks like the only way for me to fulfill the promise. And so his faith with his actions is imputed to him to righteousness. Rahab, of course, was that prostitute in the City that Israel was going to overthrow. But she shows her faith by loosening herself from the loyalty of the land she was raised in, the nation that she was a part of, and she hid and helped the spies from the children of Israel. Why? Because she believed that the spies and the children of Israel were going to overcome the land. And because she believed that's going to happen, she realized the best thing I can do is get on the winning side. So if you have faith, then you're going to have works that demonstrate your faith or it's incomplete. Perfect faith. I bless you. You may be seated. I think one of the most interesting statements here in this particular text is that James, almost like an exasperation, throws this point out that he says, you want to talk about believing, (laughs) even the devils believe that there's one God, (laughs) and they believe it so strongly that they tremble. However, they put no actions to the belief, so they're not saved. He said, it doesn't matter what you believe in your mind or even can conjure up your emotions or in your spirit. If you don't put works or actions to your faith, faith without works is dead. Elisha has been the man of God for the people of Israel for many years. And King Joash has reaped the benefits of the prophetic words of the prophet. And over and over, his life and the life of the nation has been saved by Elisha. But now, the king has come to the bedside of the prophet because, aged and sick, he is on his deathbed. And there, true grief is being experienced as the king is frightful. Not just because of the future, but of the present. Because Syria has come against the people of God And the armies are surrounding them. And the prophet who gives the word of direction is dying. But even from his deathbed, the prophet is going to do what the prophet does. You're not a prophet because you call yourself a prophet. You're a prophet if God uses you to prophesy. You're not an evangelist because you call yourself an evangelist. But you better be an evangelist where you're at right now. And God will open doors for you to be an evangelist where he wants you to be an evangelist. You're not a minister of the gospel just because that's a title you take because it sounds good. But you're a minister in deed or in action or who you are. And then God opens the doors for you. So the prophet begins to do what he just did it. He can't help himself. It's his gifting, his calling. And he wants to prepare the opportunity for the supernatural, in particular for the prophetic. So he speaks to the king to take bow and arrow in hand and open the window eastward. This is a typology or a parallel of a Prayer. Throughout the Old Testament, the men would open their windows eastward or toward Jerusalem. And there they begin to pray as Daniel did three times. This is a typology of prayer because prayer is always the preparation for the prophetic. If you need a prophetic word of guidance or direction, then prayer is the place to go. It's the preparation. and So, preparation of opening the window eastward. Then he declares unto the king to take bow and arrow in hand and now a beautiful picture of impartation as the prophet gets up out of his sick bed death bed puts hands upon the hands of the king and the two of them string the arrow taut in the bow and let the arrow fly eastward out the window and now the prophet begins to prophesy behold The arrow of God's deliverance. One more time, the king is going to be blessed by a prophetic word through the prophet from God. The arrow of God's deliverance. God will give you victory over the enemy that is surrounding you and you will defeat Syria and drive them all the way back to Aphek and utterly destroy them. God gives us prophetic words and promises in his words and through his anointed servants. But every time that there is prophetic word given, there is also a need for us to put works with our faith. Well, I heard the word from God. I got the prophecy. We're going to totally destroy Syria. So now what is the works that needs to be accomplished in this particular story? And the prophet tells the king, take the arrows in your hand and strike them upon the ground. Now, you've got to realize that this is his weapon's. Bow and arrow is his weapons, and he has an enemy surrounding the nation. So to take the weapons that he has on hand and hit the ground with them, all of you bow hunters know that if you hit the ground with your arrows, you're going to dull the broadhead, or the sharpness of the razor-like point will no longer be good. That if you hit the arrows on the ground, you'll bend the shaft, and no longer will it fly straight as a, Straight as an arrow. And so you destroy the ability. What you have will no longer be usable. But if you believe the prophetic word, you don't need your weapons. If you believe that prophetically, God is going to let you destroy Syria, then you can take your arrows and destroy them on the ground because you don't need them. So here's an opportunity for King to understand or to demonstrate the works of his faith. And so hearing the voice of the prophet, he takes the arrows in hand, realizing that's his prophecy. That's his prophecy, the arrows. And he strikes it upon the ground once, and he hits the ground the second time. And then when he hits the ground the third time, his actions seem to be uh, more casual, They seem to be a little haphazard. They don't seem to be an over-the-top, going-for-it attitude. It just seems to be mm -hmm. three times and he stops. And the prophet is upset with the king. Why were your works of faith so small? Why did you demonstrate with your prophetic faith operation such casual and haphazardness? You should have took the arrows and hit the ground five, six, seven times. And if you had have gone over the top, you'd have received 100% of what is prophesied. But because you were casual in your works of faith, because your response to the prophecy you held on to a little bit, then you're going to receive a portion of what is prophesied. And this is what happens. They fought Syria and destroyed or beat them the first time. And they were overcomers the second time and the third. But Syria came back the fourth time and they could not destroy or beat them. Came back the fifth and sixth times and they could not. The prophecy was utterly destruction of your enemy and complete utter victory driving them all the way out to the name. And they got 50% of what is prophesied. But this is a principle of faith and a principle of the prophetic that we need to understand. Jesus speaks about this in the parable of the sower and the seed. And I'm going to be specific about the prophecy making it the seed. In generality, the seed is the word of God. But for our understanding today, the seed is the prophetic word of God. And Jesus said the seed is sowed or the word goes forth, or the prophetic is uttered by the anointed of God. But it has to fall on good soil in order for it to produce the miraculous. The seed is the prophetic word, but the soil is the hearts of men and women. Mankind. And it's incumbent upon the soil that it is proper, otherwise the seed cannot produce what it should produce. Jesus said there's hardened ground. I'm not going to spend a long time on this parable. But that's hearts of individual that have become hardened and there's lack of understanding and they not plowed up the fallow grounds of their heart. So the prophetic goes forth, but it doesn't produce anything because the heart or the soil is hardened. Other individuals whose soil of their spirit is stony ground. That means hurts have come to them, afflictions have come to them, persecution has come to them, hurts and bitterness, and they've got these things in their spirit. And the prophetic or the word wants to produce, but it cannot because stones in the garden of that heart. It's why it's important you got to get that stuff out. you got to pray forgiveness. you got to let things go. you got to get healing from hurts. you got to let it go. Or your heart or soil becomes stony ground that cannot receive the prophetic. Then there's thorny ground which can produce a small growth, but then like weeds that come into a garden, the thorny ground, its a, it cannot produce what it should because other things choke it out. And Jesus said, it's the cares of life and the pursuit of riches and the love of money that you pursue with all other things in the, in the background. This is what chokes out the prophecy. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this for churches who the prophetic word has gone forth, that God wants to give you revival and harvest and miracles and signs and wonders. But then these three things choke out the ability. People don't have a soft heart to receive the word of God, but they become hardened. There's hurts and bitternesses that are not taken care of and unforgiveness in their life and, and then the cares of life begin to consume. But Jesus said in his parable that there's also good soil. But even good soil... Some produces 30%, some 60%, and some 100%. Because the same contextual understanding is the hardened heart. is partially hardened, so it only produces a portion of what it should. Or 60, because the cares of life. Or 30, because of afflictions and persecution. If I took an orange seed today, we would know that in the DNA of this seed is the ability for it to be planted in the ground and produce a hundred oranges. We know that. But we know a lot of trees don't produce a hundred oranges. Some only produce 60 and some 30. The problem's not in the DNA of the seed. It's in the soil. And when that prophetic word is planted in the heart, How is it fertilized and taken care of? What are the works of faith demonstrated because we believe that word? Elijah, powerful man of God, sees the utter perversion and idolatry of the people of God. So for the sake of judgment to bring mercy, he speaks a word that there will be no rain upon the land until he speaks the word again. And now drought has come on the land, and famine, no rain to water the crops. And after a year has passed, and now two years, no creeks, no rivers, they're all dried up. There's no dew that's been on the ground for three years. No rain that has fallen from heaven. Now it culminates at three and a half years. Can you imagine how terrible it would look at three and a half years around here? No dew, no snow, no rain, no water whatsoever. Serious times. But the prophet has his ear Tuned into the spiritual realm. And he hears a sound of mercy. It's a sound of rain coming in abundance. But he understands the concept and the principle of 2 Chronicles 7.14. That if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. If people would humble themselves and pray. That's the preparation. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then would I hear their prayer from heaven and would heal their land. This is a land that needs healing. It has been without rain. It has been without dew for three and a half years. So now commences the contest on the top of Mount Carmel. Very important to understand, this is at the end of the drought. He has heard a sound like rain in abundance coming, but there has to be some things that happen. They've got to pray in preparation. They've got to turn from their wicked ways. they got to seek his face. So the contest on Mount Carmel is simply God proving that he is their personal supernatural God. I can't tell you that this is the desire of his heart. If you would let him today, he wants to prove everyone in the place today, he is not just the God of rack, but he is the God of you. He is your personal God, and he is not just your personal God, he is your personal supernatural God. Uh, So, this is why the contest on Mount Carmel all these hundreds of false prophets will put together a little sacrifice and will call out to their God, which happens to be Baal, that Baal would send down fire from heaven. And if fire comes from heaven while these false prophets are calling out, then all of Israel will know this is the true God. But then if the one prophet puts the sacrifice together and he prays and fires falls from heaven, then everyone will know that Jehovah God is the prophet, is the, is the true God of Israel. So all morning long, the false prophets, 450 of Baal, begin to cry out, but Baal is a God with no ears to hear. They get so desperate that to show their great sacrifice, they begin to cut themselves as they're praying. But Baal has no eyes to see their sacrifice. Bell has no heart to be moved with the very feelings of their infirmity. Sometimes we give these Old Testament nations a a hard time because they make gods built with their own hands and then worship it. But we do the same thing today in North America. You know what our gods are? And I know where I'm at here, okay? But you know what our gods are? Our gods are entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment in the right place. And you can follow the bulldogs and follow the falcons and, you know we 'll pray for if you 're following teams that are outside of Georgia, but you can follow your team as long as it 's in the right place. but if you have a if you have to come to church Sunday morning and get healed because the bulldogs lost on Saturday you 're trying to get your joy from something that 's man made It's just an organization put together. It's a group of men that are playing ball. And if that's where you're getting all your joy from, then you realize they're making that God because God should be the source of your joy. Entertainment is our God. Uh, Hollywood will take you on stories of passions. found love and then unrequited love and somehow you've gone through this great passion and somehow we can quote all this stuff and it becomes our mentality and our thought process when in reality we know there's no greater love than this than that a man would lay down his life for his friends and that while we were all yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's gods in our world today called government. It's man-made things. Programs that are government. And some individuals think, well, if we just get the right president or the right uh, party in place, then our finances are going to be good. Then this is going to be, then I'm telling you, if you're depending on that, you're depending on something that is man-made. I'm so glad we know who Jehovah Jireh is. That God is my provider. And so they are worshiping this false god that cannot hear. Finally, Elijah is fed up with the nonsense, and he says, stop that stuff. All morning long, there's been no fire from heaven. And so Elijah begins to prepare the opportunity for the prophetic and the miraculous by preparing the altar. He builds that place of prayer again, the preparation for the prophetic, builds the altar, puts a sacrifice. And before he begins to pray a prayer that will call fire from heaven, he turns to the servants there. And says, go get me four barrels of water. Just a great time to take a drink, that's all. There are always servants involved in the miraculous. And what he's telling them to do is go get four barrels of water. Water, scarce. Now I had it for three and a half years, fall out of heaven. What they do have is probably carefully guarded, hoarded, reserved. And so somehow these servants get four large barrels of water, talk the people into it, bribe them into giving me water, and they bring it back to the prophet or the man of God, and that dude pours the water on the wood sacrifice. Now, if you want to start a fire, wet wood is not the place to start. But God is going to prove that he's not just a God of the natural. He is a God of the supernatural. He doesn't need the wood to be dry to start a fire. Is somebody hearing me? He doesn't need your diagnosis to be good to heal you. He doesn't need the economy to be great to bless you. He is a supernatural God. So the servants come back with the water And the man of God pours it on the sacrifice. And then the prophet says, go get four more barrels of water. Now, I don't know what they had to do to convince the people to give them the first four barrels. But when they go back the second time and they say, we need to refill. Well, what would you do with the last four barrels? Well, the man of God just poured it out. That seems like a waste. Broken arrows and poured out water seems like a waste because if all you have is a little bit, you have got to have faith in the prophecy or you won't spend your little bit. Your faith works will not demonstrate because you'll hold on to what little you have instead of holding on to the prophecy. And so, Somehow they convince them, and they get four more barrels of water, eight barrels of water, and pour them the sacrifice. Man of God says, "Not enough. Go get four more." I don't know how they convinced them to get twelve barrels of water, but somehow they did. Until the ground that's not had rain in three and a half years is so saturated, it's holding water in a trench. It is so poured out upon them that it is dripping everywhere. And now the man of God prays a simple prayer. The King James version. We see sixty-three words. Just. Okay, God, roll up your sleeves. Show them that you're a personal supernatural God. And fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, burns up the altar, laps up the water, smokes the ground, and God has proven that he is a supernatural God. And because that's been proven, Elijah turns to Israel and says, Okay, you got to turn from some wicked ways. God is going to bless you. He's going to hear your prayer for rain. He's going to heal this land. But now as we're praying and we're seeking his face, you got to get rid of some things in your life. I cannot tell you how there's some things that hold us back from the blessing and the anointing, the miracles of God. Sometimes you got to turn away from some stuff. That seemed like a pastoral word right there. Get rid of some things in your life. And so, this is why the prophet says, take them down to the river and cut all of their heads off. Totally destroy the idolatry and the false worship that is in the land. And then the word sings clear that he has been hearing in the spiritual realm as the prophet declares, I'm hearing that sound of an abundance of rain. And he takes a servant. He doesn't go home and put his feet up in the lazy boy and eat fried chicken because that's what you know, men of God do. But he takes a servant, always servants in the middle of a miracle. And he goes out to a place where he can be alone with God, the servant, and they can have vision. It's important when you pray for a miracle to happen that you're in a position where you can see, where you can have vision. And he begins to pray. And as he prays, what are you doing, man of God? You've already heard it. You've already spoken it. Somebody has to reach into the spiritual realm where it is already sounding, where it is already happening. And through travail, birth into the spirit what is all, or to the physical what is already in the spirit. That's what intercession is. When God calls you to intercede, he's calling you to intercede for something that has already happened in the spiritual. When he calls you to travail, it's already happened in the spiritual. He just wants you to birth it in the physical. So, he prays and intercedes for what he has already prophesied. Somebody has to intercede it. And when he finishes intercession, he turns to the servant and says, go, Use the vision and see if there's a change. Let me see that something's different after everything that has happened, what I've heard, what I've seen God prove himself, what I've prophesied. And the servant goes, and I, I imagine that he scanned very intently and comes back in my imagination very disappointed, not wanting to let the man of God down, saying, Sir, I know that you heard from God. I, I know that you heard that sound. I know that you prophesy. I know you're anointed. But I hate to tell you, there ain't a bit of difference. Today is just like yesterday. There's as much pain in my body as when I first got here. The economy ain't changed for me. I've got no resumes out for new new places. I've got no rays on the horizon. There's no change. Everything looks just like it did. There's absolutely no change. But the man of God has some works to put with his faith. And he is not casual with what he heard in the spirit and what he's prophesied. So he intercedes again. He hits the ground again. His intercession is again. And there's no change. I'm not going to belabor the story. Third time when he intercedes, no change. The servant goes and comes back. No change. Fourth time, no change. Fifth time, no change. He is not casual, but he continues to travail. He continues to believe, knowing that he's effective. He continues to go on. till finally, at seventh time, he sends the servant to see if there's a change. And again, my imagination... The servant has done this so many times. He knows how many steps it's going to take. He knows exactly, he's memorized it in his mind's eye, what the horizon looks like. And he must have ran to the spot he's been to so many times before, looked at it again and turned to go. But then something maybe out of his peripheral stops him. And he looks and looks and looks again. And yeah, way over there. That's that's something different. And so he goes back to the man of God. And again, this is how I imagine it. And he says something like this um, I've got news, but don't get too excited. Because it's not big news, it's just, it's just a little news. It's different. I see a cloud likened to a man's hand. And when the prophet hears that there's something physical, even if it's small, He leaps up and we find him outrunning the chariots of Ahab as that abundance of rain begins to happen because the prophet knows it's not his job to make it be fulfilled. All he has to do is travail until it crowns. And when it crowns, he knows it's in the physical and it's time for God to do the supernatural. Too often. We see that small sign of the miracle, of the healing, of the blessing, of the supernatural. And because we see it as small, we say, well, God, you know, has given us a little bit, but I guess he's not. What we've got to understand is that's the beginning. And if God gives us the beginning, then we can believe that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. He's the finisher of our faith. last example, last example. One of my favorite stories seems to be uh, out of place seemingly within the scriptures. It's the story of Jesus going to a wedding, the marriage in Cana of Galilee. And there they are having reception and celebrating the new life of this couple that is joined together and. Holy matrimony. But not only is Jesus there, the disciples are there. And also, Mama, Jesus' mother is there. And as they are celebrating and going through all the customary functions, Mary comes up to Jesus with this statement They have no wine. But she's not just giving information. And she's not just speaking as someone would talk to the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings. She's talking to him like a mama knows how to talk to a son. Now, I can remember some of them times, even though it's been 70-something years ago. I can remember being a teenager and, uh, you know, lounging on the couch. Because that's what teenagers do. Or at least back in the 40s, you know, when I was a teenager. And so I was lounging on the couch... And mom would come in and say something like this. <clears> "Tim, <throat> the trash needs to be taken out. And so I would say, wow, that is awesome information, mama. I'm going to log that in my memory banks, and I'll probably remember to preach about that later. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get a committee of my siblings together, and we'll discuss the function of this trash need to be. No, no. No, because mom is telling me without telling me, get up and go take the trash out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because it was my mom, she was saying I shouldn't even have to tell you. You should know when the trash needs to be taken. I felt a little anointed on that. I'm not lying. <laughs> this is what Mama Mary is doing for son Jesus. She's saying it like this. Hmm. They have no wine. Like, here's the ball. What you going to do with it? I'm giving this information to you because it's your responsibility to take out the trash. And he responds to her in such a way that I hate to do this, gentlemen, but I'm going to ruin this. And for some of us husbands that maybe had wanted to use this at some time, He responds back to her with this statement, woman, what have I to do with thee? (laughs) I'm sorry, that is so out of context. (laughs) He says unto her, woman, which in the original Greek means, it means it speaks, it's rarely used in the Greek except for it's speaking of a spouse, those that have become one flesh. What he's speaking to her when he calls her woman, is not just a term of endearment. But that means nobody is closer to me than you, Mama. Wow. Yeah. You love me, I love you, and this fits. No one is closer. You carried me in your womb. You took all the brunt of being that virgin Mary. You All this and you, you're close to me. But then he says, what have I to do with thee? Which means it don't matter how close we are on this one, Mama. You can't pull strings. And no matter how much you love me and I love you and how dear you are to me, you can't pull strings on this one. And he tells her why. Because my time is not yet come. What he's saying to her is this. You know who I am. Because Gabriel prophesied it And you know all the Old Testament prophesies Of who Christ and the Messiah is You know who I am And I will, yes, one day step to the edge of that boat When there's a Euroclodonus storm threat And take all the disciples To the bottom of Davy Jones' locker And when I look at that boisterous wind And I say, peace, be still It'll become a gentle breeze through her hair And the lake will become placid Instead of waves crashing He said, I will do that, but not today That's tomorrow. That's in the future. I'll stop for the man who's crying out, Thou son of David, have mercy and heal a blind man. I'll put spittle and mud on someone's face and they'll wash in Siloam and be healed. I'll do a resurrection, seemingly two of them in the same message. When a widow is taking her only son to a graveyard, and when I resurrect the son, I give new life to her as well because I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm going to do all that. You know who I am, Mary, but not today. It's in the future. But I want you to see Mary's works of faith. She reaches back to the prophecies of the Old Testament declaring the Messiah would come. There'd be a government of peace upon his shoulder. That within his borders of the garment that he wore would be healing. That he would be the blind eye open, the deaf ear unstopper. That he would be the one of the resurrection. She reaches back to that and she reaches back to Gabriel's prophecy. And she turns to the servants, always servants in the middle of a miracle. And she turns to the servants and says, I don't care what he says, you get on and lickety split. Whatsoever he saith doeth it and because she had just been told it ain't going to happen it don't matter how much i love you you can't pull the strings it's not the right time but because her response of her faith is over the top in the prophetic words of who jesus is jesus turns to the servants and says fill up the water pots there's six water pots there for the purification each of them containing two or three firkins apiece Is that crazy? Two or three firkins? I didn't know either, so I looked it up, and a a firkin is almost nine gallons. Two firkins is almost, and three firkins is almost. Come on, some sharp people in the place. So these are huge stone water pots, twenty-seven gallons. Indeed, custom says that the reason why there's such a discrepancy between two firkins or three is because if you're going to leave it in place, you could put three firkins in it, but if you had to move it, it's so cumbersome, you only put two firkins in it, it would slosh so much. So the servants hear the words of Jesus, fill the water pots. This is why there's always servants in a miracle. Because when God speaks to you to have works of your faith, And you don't have a servant spirit, you're going to say, well, how come I got to go get the water and not her? How come you asked me to do it? Or you're going to say, this doesn't make sense. Why would I take my only resource and break it? Or why would I take my only resource? Can I tell you that when God begins to prophesy to you a financial blessing and miracles in your finance, the first thing that he's going to ask you is how much do you believe it? then go empty out your wallet. And if you don't believe, if it's a true word from God and you don't believe it, then your faith will let you hold on to what little you have. It ties into your healing because God will challenge you. Do you believe that I have spoken healing to you? It ties into your relationship blessing because he'll demand of you to do a work that shows your faith in his promise. And so they gathered six water pots. Understand that the servants know it's water. And he's about to tell them, oh, take it to the governor of the feast and see how good the wine tastes. But when they fill the water pots, the scripture says they didn't put two firkins in it, they didn't put three firkins in it, they fill it to the brim. And you can see the water molecules may be holding together in this passage as they're brimming or even higher than the edge of these pots. They put everything they possibly could in the pot. They went over the top with their response of faith. And because of that, Jesus reaches into the future where the miracles are going to happen, where the supernatural is going to happen, where it is the right time. He reaches into the future and supernaturally brings it into the present. And speaks to them, draw out now, right now, and give the governor the feast. The governor of the feast has no idea where it came from, but he is even speaking past, present, future. When he said, most men give the best wine first, but you've saved the best for last. But the scripture says this, the servants knew where it came from. This gives me hope because if I will just be a servant and keep the servant spirit and just obey and show my over-the-top works of faith, then I'll begin to understand and have revelation into the supernatural and begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit and and the things that God wants to do in deep things of his kingdom. If you desire that, let your hunger out right now or just a cry. Jesus' name. Here here is the fulfillment of prophecy and an over-the-top response of faith or works of your faith. It's an abundance of rain. That's more rain than you even need. It's a blessing that goes even far beyond. And for this miracle, it's 162 gallons of wine. 162 gallons of wine the end of the feast, so much more than they could ever use. Abundance of miracle. So the way the prophetic works is in perfect faith. You've got to believe the word of God, but devils believe. But then believe in it, you've got to show your works. That if you believe... That Jesus Christ loved you. That he went to Calvary's hill to pay the price for our sins. That he went to that tomb that he borrowed for a few days. So that we could have our sins washed or remitted in baptism calling on the name of Jesus. That we might have the infilling of his spirit living within us through the power of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. If you really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, then it takes more than just saying, yeah, I believe that. My mind, my heart, my spirit. But faith without works is dead. If you believe that, then you'll follow the plan of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And separate a holy living before God. Because that's your works of faith. James summed this up at the end of his chapter 2 when he says, This is what faith without works is it's like the body without the spirit. When your spirit leaves your body, that's not even you anymore, that's just the carcass, (laughs) the flesh. Who you are has left. And James said, faith without works is like a body without its spirit. It has no life. It's soil that cannot produce a supernatural miracle. It's a word of prophecy that's gone forth and no works have been demonstrated. Therefore, nothing happens. The key to this is understanding the word of God. In prophecy in your life. And then understanding how to demonstrate your faith. Because first of all, knowing that God has spoken is so, so important. That God, His Word has spoken it. His Spirit has confirmed it. And then secondly, to know it's His voice declaring you what to do. I, I, I've come to the end of this time. And I want to be very clear with you. I've, I've not come to try to get you into an emotional fervor today. I'm not looking for you to get so excited that you're high-fiving all of these lights. Or, you know, lapping this place until you're going so fast you have to get up on the wall. NASCAR, you know. I'm not looking to give you some kind of action or reaction. But you have to hear the voice of God in your particular situation in your ministry, in your life, in your need of healing, in your need of miracle, and hear the voice of God for not only his healing, his blessing, his anointing, but also how do I demonstrate my faith through works. In the very area of your need is where he's going to challenge your faith. But if you believe it, What's these last $10 I got if God's about to give me a raise? What's this little bit of energy that I'm holding on to if God is about to supply me with more energy than I've had in weeks? What is this health that I have to protect so much if if God's about to heal my body? How come I have to be so careful with what's happening in my relationships and my testimony and my witness if God is about to pour out revival in my home? Why do I have to be so concerned about what people think about me when I talk to them on the streets and on the campuses and where I live? If I know God is saying there's a revival coming that's going to turn this, We will determine whether we get 30%, 60%, not at all, or 100% of what is prophesied. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want you to be sensitive so you can hear the voice of God in your life. As you stand to your feet, just lift up your hands. If your spirit field begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, that's how you build up your most holy faith. Jude says you build up your faith praying in the Holy Ghost. Just build up your faith. And begin to entertain the presence of God. That's it, that's it, that's it. Just softly. Just softly. Just softly. I'm not going to be very long at all in ministry. We'll get people in this altar quickly. In Jesus' name. Just bring your volume down while I speak to a few people. <laughs> hey, darling, I'm speaking to you. When I see you, it's like you're picking your hands up. I see it's like elbows and knees. And chase is the word I'm feeling. That you're feeling, chased. You're feeling like you've been cornered for a long time, and now you've got to run. Now you've got to move. You've got to get away from some things. But God wants you to run not away from some things but to stand up in faith and know who you are in God and that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. And while you have been running because fear is trying to direct you, now you will change direction and run because faith is chasing you and is upon you. I pray a brand new impartation of faith. A brand new impartation of strength. You are the overcomer. You are anointed. You are called. You are chosen. (laughs) yeah <laughs> my sister, let me speak to you <laughs> You're basking in the joy and the blessings of what God has done for you. But you ain't seen nothing yet. There's some quick things that are about to happen. Some quick things that are about to happen. It seems so much in the kingdom of God that things are slow and like you're never getting there. But when God begins to move, it's some quick things, and that's what's beginning to happen. And some prayers you pray for a long time, you're going to see some quick things. I see some extended family revival happening in your life. I see some prayers you've been praying for your children and for your immediate family immediately beginning to happen. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is. It is, it is, it is. You have been afraid to believe the promise of God. You have breathed that intercessory prayer asking God for that loved one. (laughs) Don't be afraid to believe it. Don't be afraid to speak it. Don't be afraid to declare it. God's love is for this individual. (laughs) (laughs) God has made you unique, sir. He has made you with unique giftings and unique anointings. There are battles that you will face that many probably will never have to face. But it's because the uniqueness of your call and the uniqueness of your ministry. Keep yourself submitted to the spiritual authority in your life, and watch God begin to put strength in you until the battles you faced in the past seem like just bumps in the road. (laughs) And overcome His strength and power until your mind has become assured of who you are, of whose you are, and of what your purpose is. And the God is upon you, mighty anointing of God is upon you, generational anointing. Hear the name of Jesus from a place of pain. Is coming a place of great strength. From a place of ashes is coming something beautiful and new. Trust that God has not turned his head from you, but he has turned his favor towards you. And know that it is your time. It is your time. It is your time. Believe and receive that the (laughs) hand. Would somebody let a spirit of intercession move across this place? We need to pull something from the spirit into the physical. Hey. One more time, let me give you direction. If you know your prophecy, if you know what God has spoken to you, if you know your promise, then I want you to be the first ones to step out and come find your place just standing in the altar, just standing in the... uh You know it's God that has spoken, and you know what He is speaking to you. Don't give yourself to prayer yet. Just come stand. Says <laughs> there is destiny upon you. I don't know if you know how important this day and tomorrow is for you. There is destiny upon you. Breakthrough is upon you. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Now, maybe you don't know your prophecy and promise, but you're feeling just an urge in your spirit. And what you feel so strong in this place, you want to be a part of. God, if you'll speak a word to me, I'll demonstrate my faith. If you'll show me my, my destiny, my, my future, my prophecy, I'll respond. If that's you, I want you to join those that already flooded this place. Could you make room as they're coming up the altar right now? From the outside out, from the inside out, everyone guest and visitor alike is invited. Jesus. Jesus. Beautiful. Okay. Here's the deal. When I loose you to begin to pray, some of you who are spirit filled will begin to intercede in the Holy Ghost and reach into the spiritual realm where it's already been heard, it's already been prophesied, it's there. And you'll begin to bring for this church, for this campus, for this body, and for you, ministry and anointing and personal walk with God, what has already been spoken into the the present, from the spiritual into the physical, from the future into the present. For others of you, I just want you to begin to talk to God. But how you respond, your works of faith, shows how much your faith is really there. It's like this. If I was to pull up for everyone to see a prophecy from the Scripture, from the Scripture, let's take Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for mission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If that's the prophecy... Then I was to loose you to receive that prophecy today. There'd be people here that say, okay, repent. And you'd go over the top. You'd lift up your voice. You wouldn't care who's beside you, who's around you, what anybody thought. You'd go over the top and say, if this is what i got to do for this promise, then I'm going to repent with everything I've got. You'd make sure you were baptized. You'd make sure there was a schedule. To bat- you'd make sure you'd go over the top and make sure you're baptized in Jesus' name. I'll tell you what I'd receive. I'd see people that go over the top in their response of faith or works of their faith. Power of the Holy Ghost would fall upon them. Knowing that God be so strong, they speak in tongues. And then I'd watch other people who'd respond kind of casually, ease their way into it. And they'd receive a touch. And probably there'd be some here that responds, not at all. And you'd receive nada. Because the problem's not in the prophecy. It's in your soil and in your faith response. This is why Jesus is always saying when he's speaking healing to people, according to your faith, even so let it be unto you. He's not saying, well, if you've got, you know, if it's big enough as a grain of mustard seed, or, or if the volume can fill up so. No, he's saying, here's your miracle healing. Now, if you believe it, your works are going to show it. So according to the same dimension of your faith, to that same degree are you healed 30, 60, 100%. So it's determined upon us if we believe and if our faith will be added with works so it can be alive and not dead, perfect faith. So I'm going to loose the ministry in just a moment. Everybody under the authority of pastor, please help us. Brother Patterson, I saw you slip in. Please help us pray. Gifts of the Spirit are here. There's going to be words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healings, prophecy. Evangelists, help us pray. All evangelists, everyone help us minister in just a moment. Those of you who know how to intercede, we need someone reaching into the spiritual and pulling to the physical. So I need some intercession happening. At the same time, we need people who will demonstrate their faith and whatever God tells you to do. Maybe we could just make a step, an offering plate, because some people need to be blessed in their finances. God's going to talk to you. Maybe we need to make a little space over here in the back for someone to dance because they need a healing. I don't know what God's going to tell you to do. But if he tells you to jump, (laughs) see how high you can go over the top. If he tells you to give, if he tells you to say, whatever he tells you, you, show that you believe him. By going over the top of your response faith, Are you ready? Come on, intercessors, lift your voice right now. I lose you to receive your miracle. And she- i Time in your life, when things are missing, when things seem unstable, that's the time where I do my most stable things
2: in your life. If you will let these things be born out of faith.
0: Yes. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus oh we thank you Lord we praise you Lord God's so good that faith is something else isn't it it can do anything faith in him can do it all But I like what he said, you know, go over the top with it. Because the principle is true. You're going to reap what you sow, but it's going to be measured to you how you meted it out. So if you sow sparingly, well, we used to sing a song, 99 and a half won't do. Give it everything you got. You know, we used to sing songs that pushed people to those limits. I'm sold out. That means I'm 100%. Nothing's going to, I'll never turn around. You know, with things like that, we, we were letting, making a statement. Hey, I'm, I'm only going for 100%. I'm not, I'm not giving anything less. And if we'll get back to doing that, we're going to see the kind of church that God designed the church to be. This whole world needs a revival of a hundred percent. That they'll get back to going over the top. I think about the scripture said if a man said go one mile with me, he said go two. Go the extra mile. He asked for one part of your garment, give him your, your coat also. Just get, you know, get rid of it. whatever. Just go over the.